Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The wait is finally over and sport is back on Now TV. It's lights out and away we go! Where you can watch Sky Sports, Premier Sports and BT Sport together and all without a contract. What a fantastic part. So whether there's a day, week or whole month of action you just can't miss, you can now stream the lot. Oh, it's a fabulous goal! This is your sport on your terms. Search Now TV Sports to find out more. 18 plus content streamed via internet. Full terms apply. Hello Slackers, you're very welcome to the Slacker Podcast. I hope your conjunctivitis has cleared up and that your lawnmowers start first time. I hope you're all basically very well, is what I'm trying to say. My name is Phil Taggart, I am a Northern Irish music nerd, I am a broadcaster on BBC Radio 1, and this is the Slacker Podcast, and if you're fresh to it, hello. Actually, listen, you can hear the wind blowing through my letterbox here in windy, windy Brighton town at the moment as I record this. If you're brand new to it, this is a podcast with incredible musicians sharing their early demos and stories from the very beginning right up into the present day. And say say you're over the age of 25. If you're not over the age of 25, you're not going to get this reference in the slightest. But it's kind of like Michael Aspel's This Is Your Life but with swearing and shitty demos from class bands. Now, there's a reference I didn't think I was going to be getting into this when I started. <laughs> we are on episode 8 right now, which means... Dun, 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 dun. We are halfway through season 1, and it's been really mental, like it's been really crazy. I've never done anything sort of like a podcast before. I've Obviously, I've done radio for quite a long time, but... This is kind of like me sat the night by myself and doing something and it's been quite 
nerve-wracking and it's been really fun we've got to number one in the podcast charts a couple of times and yeah I've, i've been really enjoying it we've got the whole rest of the season one already recorded and finished i'm actually starting to look towards season two now and i would love to hear from you actually if there's any guests that you think would be amazing on this or just any feedback you've got on the podcast that would be pretty cool um it's at philly taggart on twitter and instagram i will be back in northern ireland this week coming friday 16th of november i'm taking the slacker live music night to northern ireland as part of the atlantic sessions i will be hosting four incredible bands in Portrush at the atlantic bar that is all twins brand new friend son of the hound susie blue and they are each in their own lane some of the finest music in ireland at the moment so if you want to come to the atlantic sessions and you want to come to that i will put a link to tickets in the description of the podcast below listen i've got a really great segue into this my guest this week a fellow northern irishman also is curating a lineup at the atlantic sessions um that's probably not what he's best known for he's probably best known for being the lead singer in pop beat combo snow patrol his name is guy lightbody and he is my guest this week uh he's a really cool guy he's one of the few artists that we've had on that who has like legitimately done the whole rock star growing up from you know absolutely nothing as a band the whole way up to like moving to la and having apartments there and yeah i've always found that stuff quite exciting because i've read like you know so much rock biopics of that happening it doesn't happen as much anymore so it was kind of cool to talk about that and obviously he's a very generous man he's a very kind man and he was very kind with his time and very open with um some of the demons that he's had to battle with as well and i just find the whole thing very exhilarating and uh, uh, just him a great human being to talk to for a little while maybe i thought it was a he was a bit too good to talk to because i think this was quite quite a long podcast but he's an interesting dude so and also we've got a really big treat for you we have got a version of snow patrol's biggest track run which you will never have heard ever before okay right let's pull up the podcast for just a little second this episode of the slacker podcast is sponsored by the economist one of those magazines that i genuinely thought it couldn't be for me. Uh, when you see The Economist written down, automatically the alarm in my head goes, this must all be about graphs. This must be a magazine for people on Wall Street, on Fleet Street. You have to wear pinstripe suits and you have to have 105 degrees to be able to understand uh, what's going on in it. And trust me, you don't because I was on there for five minutes and I was straight into an article about the rap beef between Drake and Pusha T completely in my comfort zone and i learned so much while i was reading it i also learned that drake's google searches which are probably quite a lot anyway went up by four times during that feud and then that got me into conspiracy mode then i was thinking are these beefs real are they just manufactured who knows and that's what i got from reading the economist i also like went down a bit of a wormhole and learned loads of other bits and pieces too i reckon now, correct me if I'm wrong, you might 100% be a smarter person if you go and read The Economist. You might not be, but I feel like I'm a bit smarter having read it. If you want your free copy of The Economist, just text SLACKER to 78070. That is text SLACKER to 78070 and you get a free copy. What else could you ask for? 
I love getting free stuff. I'd give them away as presents for Christmas and birthdays. Okay, it's time now for this week's Slacker podcast with Guy Lightbody. Three, two, one. So here we go, recording a podcast. This is what it sounds like with uh, Guy Lightbody. Hello. Hi, Philly. How you doing? What, what's going on? Uh, nothing much. Nothing much. Good to be in uh, sunny Northern Ireland. I know this is the first. This is the first recording that I've done outside of uh, the twisted little basement that we record in in Soho. <laughs> it's nice not to be, um, you know, surrounded with as much rubber and degradation. And <laughs> 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 be back in the home country. Oh, that's great. There's no. There's no better place for us to record this. So is there than back here? No, no, there's not. I, I, um. I've been away a, lo- a long time, and uh, I've just I moved back in December, so I'm, uh, that's me. Are you fully, back? Fully resident uh, in uh, Northern Ireland again? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's been it's been really good. Where where were you? You were in LA. I was in LA for a good bit. I mean, I was back and forward a lot, but mostly in LA, mm. um, doing like, movie soundtracks and things like that. What's the, what's it like um, coming home after? Such a such a time in like uh, LA and you know all, all the rest. Well, the weather took a bit of time to adjust. To, yeah, I'd say so. Because I came back and it was like you know minus something, and then it was snowing, and uh, that yeah, I think I was, uh, I definitely was turned into a bit of a um a, a, a warm body over there. Uh, yeah, because now I Guy can't warm body. Co- yeah, I can't handle the cold <laughs> at all. <laughs> no. So uh, thankfully, it's warming up now. Round Easter, you know, hitting hit, hit the sunbeds in Belfast, trying to get your. Oh, I'll be going to Tamfastic and all, all sorts. <laughs> but it must, it must must be nice. So, like you know, coming coming back because you're like surrounded with people that you know, people from back home. It's almost like sort of putting your roots down, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You gotta, you you, you gotta. I think you gotta come home um, a, a good amount of times. Just to remind yourself, just keep your feet in the ground. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's the first. The, my mum sent me a text. Yeah. I went to BBC Breakfast the other day uh, with John, with our Johnny McDade, and uh, um, my mum sent me a text before I went on. She went, uh, "Have a good time on the show. Be funny." I was I was like, like, no, no, no pressure. No pressure, mum. Thanks very much. So it just keeps your feet in the ground. You know what I mean? It's like it's good Northern Irish humour. I've got the I've got the same sort of um, thing that happens. My, my mum will listen to me when I'm on the radio doing my radio one show. Uh, she, I don't think she does it anymore. I think she's kind of fed up of it. And, and according to my sister, she'll listen when I'm speaking, and then when I put the music on, she'll turn it down. <laughs> she's not. She's not big into that. But I will get like a phone call, like you know, the next day, going. You can't be saying that in the BBC. <laughs> you just, you just can't be saying that. Is your mama like my mom? Does she look look at your Twitter and oh yeah, Facebook and stuff? And she yeah, can yeah. she can initiate conversation about your day before you've even told her about it. Oh, why? Yeah, no. She, she my mum does this thing where she'll wait until uh, like waiting for me to tell her what I've been up to. And then when I'm not getting there quick enough, she'll be like, well, what about this? What about this? What about that? It's almost like trying to catch me out or something. Exactly. But I think like that's it's like the digital age version of, you know, hanging about the, the butchers or hanging about the bakers and finding out what's happening with such and such next door. Yeah. It just means that it's all there for everybody to see and they don't have to leave the house now. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You can't, there's no, there's no sort of, uh, there's, there's no sort of uh, going away from home 
uh, having the crack and your mom not finding <laughs> out <about laughs> Exactly. <laughs> what goes on tour stays on tour. What like, goes on tour comes right back to your mom. No no phones in the in the backstage area. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, uh, we're going to get into uh, a, an early demo now, like, as we do with... Um, on, on all the, all these podcasts, uh, yeah, I want want to play something like really early from from you guys. So what what have we got? What have we got? Well, the there are some very early there are some very early demos which I will um, uh, which will be buried with me Egyptian <laughs> Egyptian style. Um, the sarcophagus. But, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, but there's I mean there's early demos of you know the, the songs that people might actually know. Uh, there'll be an er- uh, there's an early demo of Run, which is, um, I mean, I wrote that song in my in my bedroom uh, in Glasgow. I was living in Glasgow at the time, and uh, literally, I don't want to demystify the song for anyone, but literally, it's been out there for the, long enough. I, the, like, I feel like it can be demystified. Uh, uh, by uh, the electricity had just gone off in the house, <laughs> and we didn't have enough money to buy uh, put another tenner on the electricity card. Yeah. And uh, I wonder where I got the the image light up, light up from. <laughs> <laughs> so thought uh, it was going to be a bit more prophetic. So, than yeah, that. more profound like... than that. You would hope that you'd hope to think. Um, but uh, it's um, yeah, that that song was written, you know, like sort of trying to imagine <laughs> getting away from the life that we had. Yeah, we had ten years of no success, you know, and uh, and well, the irony, or I don't know if it's irony. Um, but uh, the 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 funny thing being that that's the song that ended up bringing us success. But um, but yeah, this is a early demo of Run um, before it became before Gar- before Garrett Jackknife Lee got a hold of it and turned it into <laughs> a fucking smash. Here we go. This is it. Dear, it bound to be 
How, how many times did you have to sort of bring this to the studio or bring this to the practice room before it became the, the fully-fledged... Well, we, we were playing... If Ron came out on Final Straw in 2003, but we were playing that in the set from 2001. Um, mm. And I was determined, you know, being the diehard indie kid that I was, determined to uh, um, make it as indie as possible. I was, like, changing chord structures to, like, make it sound dirge. Dirgy, 
Oh yeah, yeah and okay. uh, uh, and um, Jackknife when he came on board in 2003, just basically went right. You enough of this nonsense. Just play the chords. <laughs> and, uh, Stop being a smartass. You finally written a chorus. Let yeah. it let it let it let it breathe. Yeah. And um, and uh, that, uh, Garrett was uh, Jackknife was a was a big part of what kind of changed everything for us. You mm-hmm. know, like we started to aim higher. So like. Skipping that bit, right, and going back to the, the 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 very beginning, I'm always really interested in how bands, not the, how how they form, but like the really early days. I kind of feel that there's a lot, there's a a lot of romanticism, and a lot of people look back in those early days, going, "Oh, wasn't that great?" Was is is that the way you look back in it, or was it the case of going, "Well, that was shit, but we we got great." Oh yeah, we, yeah, we definitely were shit. We we got great. I mean, over like, time, gradually. Were you objectively shit, or were like, like, can you can you like actually go back and go? Actually, uh, we were a bit rubbish. I mean, um, I don't I don't know if we were shit shit, but we were not we weren't great. Um, uh, so th- we started at uni um, at yeah. Dundee University. I met Mark McClelland, uh, our original bass player, on the first day in Freshers Week. Uh, it's he, weird how those people stay with you. I've still got friends from the very first day of uni. Well, he's not with us anymore. <laughs> but uh, um, oh yeah, me, me too. <laughs> I cut, cut the, I cut those assholes. No, no. I mean, like, oh, no. I mean, I, I've still got friends from uh, secondary school. Um, very good friends. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, that one, that particular race didn't work out. But uh, um, but we started the band on the set. He was half my year, and Dundee was from. Ireland, mm-hmm. north and south, and uh, um, Mark McClellan went to Sullivan. I went to Campbell, so we were, de- we, you know, as my friend Fraser Campbell likes to say of uh, someone that he's just met. Oh yeah, we went to different schools together, but we we literally <laughs> <laughs> we literally did yeah, seem yeah. to grow up around the same type of excuse me, same type of people. Uh-huh. Um, went to the same pubs when we first started drinking. You mm-hmm. know, when we were sixteen. Um, yeah, and. Uh, uh, you know, like that. So we kind of we probably missed each other. Uh, ships have passed of the night, and a fair to remember. And then, and um, then finally, when you uh, got until to uni. we got the uni, the first day we met and uh, um, we started the band that day. Well, what was what was the what was the bonding record? Because like you can't sit and have a conversation and meet somebody and start a band without going, "Oh, here, do you like such and such, or do you like such and oh, such?" Oh yeah, hundred percent. Jeff Buckley, Grace. Right, yeah. okay. Jeff Buckley Grace was the was the record. That was that that record came out that um the year I went to the way I, that I'm pretty sure it was out even 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 like September October 94. Mm. It might have been out a bit before that, but um but it was definitely 94 and it was definitely the video for Grace back when MTV played a lot of videos. Yeah. It was on heavy rotation. And uh, they had a TV room at the ho- in, in the halls. And oh, we always right, end yeah. up there. Well, like, you don't have a TV in your own room. but you no, you don't, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have a TV room in the halls. And we'd always end up there drunk at one o'clock in the morning. And MTV would be on. And yeah. it would be, Shell Crow, all I want to do is have some fun. <laughs> and Jeff Buckley's video for the song Grace in high rotation. And um, yeah, so we, I think we bonded over, over Jeff Buckley. Was, was the idea, though, to... To make music like Jeff Buckley, or was it just going? Oh, this is pretty good, and then you get into the practice room, and it was just like power chords. Well, I certainly couldn't sing like Jeff Buckley, and still can't. But but it, it uh, 
you know, I think that's the, the sort of jangliness of Jeff Buckley, yeah. uh, even though he was so much more than that. It's just very, yeah. it's almost a pejorative, but um, it, uh, that was kind of the style that we were in. Grantley Buffalo, kind of the, uh, Jeff Buckley, that kind of place mm-hmm. um, at the beginning. And we were listening to, Mark actually introduced me to a whole load of American bands that I didn't know that well. I mean, I was listening to Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden before I went to university. I Soundgarden, yeah. He introduced me to um, Sebado, to Pavement, um, to Sonic Youth. You know what I mean? So he, uh, that was, a, you that guys, was a sort of an education. You got like the big grunge education. I got the grunge education and the very, very lo-fi indie education pretty fast. Does that mean, like, obviously if you if you got that big grunge education, I got that about this, the same age when uh, when I was about 14 or 15, it was all Alice in Chains and, mm. and Soundgarden and just music that your mother would worry, wor- oh, worry about you listening to. Yeah. <laughs> like when I, I was watching um, Alice in Chains MTV Unplugged, and I was about I was about fifteen, and my mom would come in, and Lance Staley takes off his sunglasses, and he's very clearly adult. <laughs> and mom's like, "What are you watching?" <laughs> and I was like, "You wouldn't understand, mom. You've never chased a dragon, and, and neither have I, but he has <laughs> for sure." Um, I always like quite like the the sort of pitfalls of the first gigs and stuff because, like you know, the the first gigs I played, I was playing stuff on the wrong string. Um, we were turning up and being absolute prima donnas because we weren't quite sure what you're meant to do at those sort of shows. What were, what were your first shows like? Yeah, we, our first show was in the Students' Union in Dundee um, to about 50 people, um, which wasn't the smallest amount of people that's that we a, played a, to. That's all right. By any means. Yeah. One gig in Leeds in 97, we played to one person. Um, can, you remember, so, can you remember that person? Yes, I do remember that person. Did you know who it was? Who? Um, it was Bob from Franz Ferdinand. <laughs> was it? Yeah. yeah I, I, that's the le- that's how the legend goes. That's what he told me that he was at that gig and there was only one person there. Yeah. So it must have been him. Um, was this like the the Sex Pistols when they played Manchester Free Trade Hall? Everybody in that room went away and when started it, yeah, a band. Twenty five people in the room and everybody was in a band. Yeah, yeah. but um, with, with your lead show. That was we, Bob from just yeah, we, we started, <laughs> Bob went, I'm gonna have to start a band that's way different than these guys. <laughs> um and uh yeah, so that first gig was um I think we did ten of our own songs. We'd been together a couple of months, we had ten songs and we did five covers, mm. including my big gay heart. When the bass string a bass string broke, the one and only time a bass string broke in our entire history. Twenty five years well. next year um, was that first gig. The first, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that bass player doesn't play with you anymore. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He doesn't. But uh, um, uh, yeah, so when he was uh, changing his bass string, I played "Big Gay Heart" by uh, the Lemonheads. Or yeah. Wow, that, that's that, that's crazy. And then, like, obviously, there was the years of finding out who you are as a band. I, I kind of feel that a lot of bands don't get that opportunity now with with. Um, with YouTube and SoundCloud, like you can kind of at that stage. I was chatting to Biffy Claro about this, Simon, and he was saying we could go and be shit for as long as we wanted, and nobody knew, and it was fine. And now you go play your first gig, somebody's filmed it, put it up on YouTube, or you, you've got accessible recording equipment, and then you can record it yourself because you think it's great at the time and you put it up on SoundCloud, but like all your mistakes are there. You know, all the mistakes you made early on were kind of like hidden away. Yes, I was an absolute horror show early on. 
um, drunk off my ass at gigs. Um, you were like drunk. what, like 18, 19, 20, 21? I, I was, yeah, for our first show, I was 18. And, um, and then until we were, t- until I was 28, we didn't have a hit. And um, I, think I drank th- up until I was, up until that time, on, on like before gigs. Um, yeah. So I was off, we, off like, the rails. My, my band had a, a four drink maximum. So you weren't allowed to drink more than four drinks before you got on stage. Mm. But I found a way around that. Um, Bigger drinks. When I was like 19. So I would, wouldn't drink at all before I go on stage. But I'd, I, I quite liked Alex James from Blur. So I would walk on stage with a bottle of wine. And over our half an hour set, I'd drink the whole bottle of wine. So I wasn't drunk until the very end. <laughs> <laughs> so then I, I was just like, I've had one drink and I didn't mess up. And now I'm on the same level as everybody that has watched this. That's a good plan. <laughs> I never thought about that plan. I was always, I always went up there plastered. Yeah. And, I, uh, yeah but I, I think that's like what a lot, a lot of bands do at the, at the beginning. And But the, the bad thing is that you can get into a habit of doing that and then that becomes a performance crutch, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the first gigs sober were, were, were tricky. It was like, yeah, it was relearning, relearning how to ride the bike. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I don't. I I don't think I would have been able to get up there even in or in the early days if I hadn't had a drink in me because I was so shy, so nervous. Yeah, and like like was that shyness something you always had, or like was it just about performing? Yeah, I was very shy. I was a very shy kid, very mm. introvert. I still am quite an introvert, yeah. and um, it's it's just easier now to switch to flick. This sort of switch when you go when you go on stage. Although I had a bit of a shocker there the other day, playing down um, sports relief, where I was. That's the first TV show we did in seven years, yeah. live TV, and I was so nervous. It's unbelievable. My yeah. voice was shaky. It was all my pitching was all off. Did and you have a sat- just, did you have a saddler before you went on? Stage? I don't drink anymore. Don't two drink, two no. years now. Yeah, because yeah. um, it was it was getting it was getting silly, getting too much, um, and. Uh, but but yeah, it was just it was it was like, you know, speaking of sort of having to re, you know relearn how to ride the bike, it was it was like oh, Christ, I can't you know like this is a whole new thing. Mm-hmm. Seven years away, is, it's too long. It's too long, <laughs> it's yeah. Too and, long. and like especially to be put on live TV to, to have to do it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I mean, you know, it's 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 a it's a harsh lesson to learn but it was it was a it was a lesson on the nonetheless what was the reaction to it like when you you did it because you, you played run we we've, we we did run with a choir, with a choir a beautiful choir the Halley youth choir they were great um and uh johnny mcdade played the piano and yeah the reaction was mixed shall we say <laughs> you know what i mean snow patrol fans were like come on that was great and snow patrol non-fans were were um you know Saying what they were saying is that t- is that tough to take in that because like I'd say like when you're in circuit of releasing music and used to being on TV all the time then you can kind of roll with the punches a bit but when it's your first time back after seven years it might it, if you, if it hasn't gone the way you want it to go then it must hurt a little bit more it hurts it hurts as well because we're kind of we're you know we've been we've done a lot for sports and comic relief and I know um, some of the people that work there very well and I just <coughs> I felt like I let them down as well. Mm. So that that I think that hurt more than anything, and not so much about the reaction. It was more about like I, I felt like I'd let them down. I mm. felt like I let myself down too. Um, so what's what, what's what's your like um, reaction to that? Is it like I need to get back on the horse and 
I've just been, again. I, you know, like I had been, the, 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 the thing that I've been doing was I've been warming up. I've been doing my vocal exercises. I've been warming up. I've been singing a lot. We did rehearsals for like camera rehearsals the day before, and I sung mm. it great. Yeah. So it was just the nerves. It was that extra ah, element of the nerves yeah. that 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 nicks the the, the pitching. Mm. So I have to, you know, basically I, I have to maybe deal with that a little bit mm. better. You know what I mean? Um, not hundred percent sure. You've got, I, you've got pl- plenty of shows to be able to. Oh to yeah, yeah. No. But up. The, 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 th- the thing about TV shows is that they all come at the start of the campaign before you've actually gone on tour. Yeah. If the TV shows came six months in, there'd be no problem. Yeah, you'd be, you'd be grand you'd because be you're, absolutely, you're far, I mean, you're, gigs, you're nervous for a couple of minutes at the start and then the nerves go. Yeah. But when you've got a TV slot, there only is a couple of minutes on it. You know and what I mean? I, you're, 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 you're kind of snickered. And after, after like not having done it for a while, you don't have that muscle memory anymore. Mm. Oh yeah, like no, you, for you, sure. You have, to, you have to build up the muscle memory. Um, I want to talk about Northern Ireland versus Scotland. Right. Everybody seems to claim Snow Patrol. Everybody seems to claim you boys like. Yeah. Like if you if you're in Scotland, you're a Scottish band. If you're in Northern Ireland, you're a Northern Irish band. I, like the Isle of Man want nothing to do with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, that that one's always puzzled me. Like, is it because is it simply just because like, you were in Dundee and Glasgow and yeah, we fortune, fo- uh, we formed in Dundee. You know, we were all Northern Irish at the start, um, and then as we went on, we in, uh, in introduced one Scotsman, Tommy Simpson, and then two Scotsmen, Paul Wilson, and uh, Tom left the band and just at the end of the last tour, um, and so we we still have Paul. So we are part Scots for sure, part Scots. And, and we have Ulster a Scots. Great, we have a great <laughs> we have a great affection. For for Scotland, then you know it's the place that you know that 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 we formed in. But mm. you know we're 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 a Northern Irish band for sure. Oh yeah, big time! Like you're the, like the, the the biggest export since um, potato, cheese, and onion over <laughs> here. I think. Like. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you ever finish your English lit degree? I did. Yeah, I what, did. What did you get? I I got the passing minimum. I, two I, two. I, I, no 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 no. Below that it was a third, yeah. I think, or whatever. A third. Um, I can't. I can't actually remember. I have a. I have a degree. It's hanging in my. It's hanging on my. The picture's hanging on my wall. My mum's very proud of it. Which, which um, uni was this? Dundee University. Do you remember who? Like you know, when you get your degree, somebody shakes your hand. They'll, be, they'll have like invite a celebrity up. They'll get a doctorate, and they. Yeah, you know who the the, who the speaker was? was at the time. It was Stephen Fry. No way. It was Stephen Fry. You had Stephen Fry. With Stephen Fry. Do you yeah. know who I had at mine? Because I did, I did English and media studies. We had James Nesbitt at ours. Did you? It uh, was the University of Ulster. Aye, University of Ulster. Jimmy Nesbitt, what a legend! I know, and uh, it was the University of Coleraine. And I met him in a, a members club in London, very, uh, very laudida. And it was like one of the two times that I've actually ever been in there, and he was in there. I was like, "Here, do you not remember? Like, you gave me my <laughs> doctorate there back in like two thousands or whatever." You, you could pull that one on Stephen Fry. Uh, yes, yes, I, I um. I have an embarrassing story about Stephen Fry. I told I told recently. Um, do you want to hear it? Well, yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. You've the, stirred the, the pot. I picked your interest. Um, <coughs> so, I st- uh, through a friend of a friend, Stephen uh, reached out to me about uh, he'd had a message on Twitter uh, from a soldier that wanted to. Um, Proposed, it was going to the Snow Patrol show in 
think it was Birmingham, and wanted to propose to his wife and wondered if I would propose to her on his behalf oh, wow, before right, chasing okay. cars. Yeah. And, uh, and Stephen Fry texted me to ask me this. And of course, I'm a massive Stephen Fry fan. Yeah, absolutely. I said, yes, no problem. And I did it. And he texted me after the show saying, thank you so much for doing that. So we became kind of pen pals for a bit. Never met him. <laughs> yeah. We became kind of text pals. And, uh, and hey, one Steve, day... Hey, Stephen. What's up, babes? <laughs> what's, up? <laughs> what's up, babes? And uh, one, uh, one afternoon I was doing... I, was, I did a crossword every day. And uh, I was working on a crossword. And we were te- we'd text him backwards and forwards. And then I asked him... I was stuck on a clue. <laughs> I think I can see where this is. I yeah, really, you see where this is going, I, right? I really hope it's not going where I think it's going. see this is where this is going. Yeah. And I went, here, Stephen, go on, tell us what the answer to this one is. <laughs> he went. And, and as soon as he responded, I realized, oh, my God, he must get asked this every day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I th- I'd fallen into a trap. I'd fallen into a trap. I'll tell you another story about falling into a trap after this because I just remembered. Yeah. Really embarrassing. Um, and uh, he said, I'll tell you this once. I'll t- just uh, just uh, I'll, do, I'll do this for you, but just this once. And I thought, oh, for fuck's sake, man, yeah, he must get asked this all the this time. Is, this is like somebody coming up to you and asking, going, will you listen to my band's demo? Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> and I just felt like an absolute arsehole. Yeah. And uh, that was it. That was, our, that was the end of our testing. That, oh. that was it. I was so gutted oh. with myself. He was so nice. He was so nice. And he gave me the correct answer to the clue. But, uh, but that kind of put the kibosh on it. I did something similar with um, Killian Murphy. Right. Um, I I met him at uh, Zane Lowe was leaving Radio One and he was having some like drinks in a, a place after after his show. And I just well, like I finished my show, so I went along and had a couple of drinks. And Kelly Murphy was over there, and I was just like, I think he's brilliant. Like he's he's like one of those like few few males that I would completely turn for. I was just like, wow, <laughs> right. So I was, I was chatting to him. We ended up like hitting it off, and we were chatting all night and um, just chatting about music. He's a great 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 music fan. Yeah, and. Kind of similar, like the the email thread was definitely more in my favor than it was in his favor, and I can't remember what message I sent him. It was just some some band from Cork that I was sent to him, and there was nothing back. I was like, "Well, that's the end of that." <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just have to draw a line under it. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, can't yeah, be yeah. that sort of like you know that desperate. I'm seventy five percent of the friendship is me. <laughs> you know just, said, just said email after email. Did you get my last email? <laughs> exactly. Last, do you, are you what, there? What's happening? <laughs> What was the other thing you were going to say? I was, we were, <laughs> oh God, um, I'm a massive fan of Spaced and everything Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and Edgar Wright have done since. Um, and uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost were at the Meteor Awards in Ireland and we were, the word on the street was we were going to have a big night there. Right, we okay. Were, we were nominated for six awards. This, I think. Is, this is what year? can't remember i can't remember what year it like, was 2007 eight maybe oh so like you're like yeah this is this is when you would have been peak having a this great was, year yeah yeah we yeah. were having we were having good times yeah and uh um i met them in the bar they were in the bar before <coughs> before the awards started and we were having a pint together and we were having a bit of crack mm-hmm. and uh i was just saying my my i was i was saying my i didn't introduce my girlfriend to spaced and she loves it. And uh, I was just wondering, I swear to God, I asked this question without realizing that they must get asked it all the time. Yeah. 
there's never any you know chance of you know doing a reunion or whatever and Simon Pe- both of their faces yeah, just like, dropped like oh, they just been asked the most and I know, what suppose it is the stupidest question in the world I'll always ask a stupid question if I meet one of my heroes I'll always ask Yeah them. yeah and um, it's not and, it's and not, they said Simon Pegg just said et tu Gary et tu and I went oh my god oh. <laughs> And oh, that was it. That was the end of that. What's what are what are the questions you get asked all the time? What are the questions? Like, I not, not even just from like um, journalists or broadcasters or whatever, but from just fans. Well, for the last seven years, it's been when's the next fucking album coming out? <laughs> <laughs> that has been a constant question. And and when walking around the sh- the, the the supermarket and and Bangor, it'll be when we do when are you doing Ward Park again when are you doing Ward Park again because Ward Park if you if you're not familiar with this is the biggest show that you, the, the biggest show in Northern Ireland Northern, Northern Ireland, Ireland yeah, yeah. Um, the second one we did we did one in 2007 uh, and then we did one in 2010 and 2010 one was 41,000 we you two did the biggest show in Northern Ireland ever it was 40,000 and you were and just we like thought, right I need to get one over exactly on they have every single record and we thought we're just going to get one over on, <laughs> on the last I think I think Ed Sheeran <laughs> might have broke yeah, yeah, I think he has. record quite recently I think he's done I think he did us I think he did us um there at um he did he didn't the botan- was a botanic I don't think he brought broke yours but he's broke he's broke the U2s anyway Okay. Does that wind you up? Like, if if I I don't know the facts in front of me. If if, if Ed Sheeran has broke your no, not at all. If Ed's no. done it, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, he's he's a good pal. Are you not going to come back and do forty two thousand? Well, that would be ideal. Yeah. <laughs> but like, are you like are you friends with Bono? Like, do you, do you um, have yeah, that sort we're of fri- We're friendly. I, I I um I I he's been very very kind to us. You know what yeah. I mean? I w- you know wouldn't say that we're like on the blower all the time or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just. Um, that means phone for anyone that doesn't know what the blower means. Um, <laughs> not like doing cocaine together or something, uh, or something else. Um, yeah, no, we're not we're not in contact a lot, but uh, but um, we've toured together a bunch. Yeah, I'm I say sure. we've toured together. We've toured with them. We've toured with them. Yeah, yeah and uh, um, they've been very kind. They Do brought you- us on tour in 2005, and then three three years that they did the three six. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The tour we were on all three years, you know. The production on that, like, the, the, do you ever, like, do you have, like, production envy and in, in, in stuff like that? Because, like, when, when you get to a certain level... You've got like you know you've got the money to be able to put that into the production and all the rest of it. But when you're on like on the YouTube tour and you're seeing the three sixty thing, are you like going back to your manager and going, "All right, guys, time up the game. Why can't we have a big claw in the middle? Of it? It's because the claw would take up the whole place. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, I think learn from the term of them the first time. We that was a pretty harsh lesson to learn because we realized we were. A shambles, you know, playing big, playing. We started playing bigger places, and we were still treating them like pubs and clubs. Is it not enough just to turn up at those shows and just play what you normally play? I think you got to play. I think after the first few gigs, uh, first few um, shows with you two on the Vertigo tour, we realized that we had to start playing to the back of the back of the stadium. Yeah, because yeah. Bono makes everything really small. You know, he's able to make a stadium feel like you, you know, like a club. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, basically, I studied him every night. Yeah, and learned how. I don't know. I'd certainly not got it down as as well as he has it. But I learned better how to how to bring everybody in. And it it some of those things are, you know, the the oldest tricks in the book, and they work. Get people clapping their hands. Get people singing along. I mean, Freddie, people, Mer- Freddie Mercury was the master of it, wasn't he? Exactly. It's not your show, but you're there to warm. The, you're there, you know, like to take your ego out of it. You know, yeah. you're there to pr- promote yourself, but you're also there to f- warm the crowd up for the for another but band. You're, you're quite good at that. I've seen you. I've seen you do it. At like many of your gigs, like you know, you you spend a lot of time getting the crowd ready for the music. You, you know what I mean? Like talking to them, getting everybody like in a really positive atmosphere. Yeah. Well, th- yeah. Thank you. I, I, it's you know, it's part of the, it's part of the. Um, do you have a shit day and you're just like you find it difficult to go on stage? Because like if I'm if I'm doing the radio and I've had like a an argument or just something something has gone my way or I'm just a bit sad or whatever it doesn't matter like as, as soon as you like put the microphone up you have to just be normal yeah there's I always remember a, fr- a phrase from Bill the great Bill Hicks who said um, I've been doing this show uh, every night for two years um, some 500 nights for two years uh, you know so excuse me while I plaster on a fake smile and plow through this shit one more time <laughs> and you know and it doesn't, as you say, it doesn't matter what's going through your yeah, head. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. That has to be put to one side. You have to bring your game. You have to bring your A game to everything. It, it feels awful, like, but it's like you have to leave the baggage at the door. Yeah, yeah, you could be having the worst day ever. But it's the, not, crowd, it's, the crowd can't know that. If they've paid for a ticket to come and see yeah. you, then you have to give them what they paid for. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, you can't charge, you can't charge people in and then <laughs> be a miserable bastard. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay, okay. That is it, you two. Enough! It's time for the halftime break. I want you to sit in your corner. I want you to sit in your corner. Take some deep breaths. 
spit into this disgusting bucket of full of phlegm and um, here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna slobber away about something right here, right now, and then we're gonna go directly back into the podcast. Uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, maybe I have in passing, but like I've never really sort of got deep into it. I'm not gonna get too deep into it now, don't worry. Uh, my record label is called Hometown Records. It's a small indie label that I've been running for a couple of years. I've put out music from the likes of Rap Boy and Reggie Snow and Rhodes and um, Spielberg and Love Sega and Wilds and Carmen Rosa and loads of people. But the one that we've got out at the minute, a brand new EP came out from a three-piece punk band from Derry and they're gnarly little fuckers. They're called Touts and yeah, they're two and a half minute breakneck punk tunes and the EP is called Analysis Paralysis and I will link to it on um streaming services below as well and if you like it buy the vinyl that will be amazing because we're a small tiny little label and we are incredibly hand-to-mouth basically if we don't make money back on the ep then we don't have any money to put into the next one not with this artist but like that's generally how most independents work they kind of it's 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 a very frugal lifestyle as as a label and very much a, a labor of love but we we love who we've got on the label and that's the most important thing when it comes to music. Uh, okay, right. So I've been giving off about Northern Irish bands. I've got my label. This is the fucking most Northern Irish podcast I've ever done. All right, wee man. Our wee country. Back to the podcast with Guy Life Body. Go, go back to like when you were on the indie label, Jeepster. You were on it for a while and then moved up to the major labels and that's when the commercial success started yes but it, i mean we got dropped from jeepster yeah because we had um accrued amassed a ridiculous debt yeah um they poured their hearts and souls into it um both mark jones and steph d'andrea who were steph owned the owned the company and mark ran it and they were amazing Two great, great, great guys, and you know we're still friendly with, very friendly with Mark. Um, and uh, what what changed then when you when you moved? I think well, we were trying to we after we got dropped, we were tr- we had. Funny thing is, in the couple of years after we got dropped, I'd written "Run," "Chocolate," "Spitting Games," "How to Be Dead," all songs that would end up hits the, and. And we were bringing them around record companies. We'd signed to Big Life Management, Jazz Summers, the legendary Jazz Summers, who's sadly not with us anymore. Um, he was bringing it around all the, all the labels, and nobody wanted to touch us oh, because God. we were an indie band that got dropped from an indie label. So why would why would a major sign us? And who, who was it that took that? Um, Jim Chancellor at Black Lion Records, as it was then. It became fiction. I know Jim. He's a legend. Yeah, Jim is a legend. He came up to see us. I'll tell you a great story about Jim. He came up to see us in Glasgow. Uh, in the rehearsal room and we played him all the four songs that I mentioned and a few others and uh, he sat and if you know Jim and for forever all the people that don't know Jim he's one of the loveliest men in the world he's he's one of the if you had to like picture somebody who is in music and the music industry for the right reasons and Mm. is a is a really good dude. He's like the op- he's like the opposite of what people think people in the music industry are. He's just an absolute really nice good guy. Really, really, really lovely man. Big, big heart. And anyway, he 
played against type that day because he came up and he sat like a record company guy and he was very stork. Oh, right. Okay. And he didn't let anything, give anything away. And then afterwards he took us, he took us out to dinner and the tension was just unbearable for me. I couldn't take it anymore. Like, so I just blurted out, so are you going to sign us or what? <laughs> and he went, oh, I, yeah, yeah. And I knew I was going to sign you when I was coming up on the train. I just wanted to make sure you weren't a bunch of cunts. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and that was how we started. And he said his favorite. I said, "What are your favorite your favorite bands?" He says, his "Favorite bands were Mogwai and Lift to Experience." And I went, "Bring, bring right. it on! Okay, we want to be with you." And uh, and um, and that was it. And uh, yeah, he took a chance on us. And you know, we released the album two thousand three to know. I mean, we actually, ironically, it was probably our best reviewed record, but it didn't it didn't do anything. It mm -hmm. sold the same amount of records as the first two. And then Joe Wiley. Uh, in at December Radio at Radio 1, she yeah. was out at the time, um, played run, all six minutes of run on, day, on daytime radio. Which is big, because normally if your song's over three minutes, it's getting chopped down. So Absolutely. To, to have a DJ put six minutes of a track onto the radio from a, a band that aren't A-list yeah. or B-list even. Oh, we that, were not even that. getting played at night time at that point. Yeah. And um, uh, he... Um, uh, uh, Joe, uh, lovely Joe, wonderful Joe, um, who we still owe everything to. She's just a, an absolute legend. Um, she played um, Run all six minutes, and apparently the phone lines went mental, and we did a radio mix of it, a quickly, quick turnaround <laughs> yeah, radio mix. Like, oh, God, this is a bigger hit than we thought. Yeah. And, uh, and then it, you know, it was re-released in January, and the album was re-released, and the single went in. Top five in the album and top five. Wow. And that was everything changed. We went from playing, we were playing, uh, we played a strip club in, oh, James Corden is from there. It's the town he's from outside London. Um, was James Danson? Um, <laughs> James, um, he, uh, I can't remember what the name of the place is, but um, he's Hitch from there. Hitchin, is it? No, no it's... Um, I'd look it up. I'll look it up. But uh, we, we were in, uh, we were there. We played a strip club um, and it was a daytime strip club. Oh, right. So guys would come in at lunchtime and have a pint and a pie and a, stri and a, a strip. Oh, women, right. Women would take their clothes off. And then we came in about sort of three o'clock to sound check. Yeah. And they unscrewed the stripper pole from the, set, from the <laughs> stage. And we went on and we played a show to, this was December 2003. After Final Straw had been out for five months, um, we played a show to 15 people, seven of which were in the support band. And um, a month later, we, we, uh, our album was top five. That's and two months after that, we played the headline, The Shepherd's Bush Empire. That's absolutely insane. Like, we the, were the, over the, the, 10 year overnight success, which is the line that people have used. But it, yeah. it's, you know, it's, very, it's very true. I've just got this, idea, this image of. Like, you know, coming in from the car, going, oh, we've got another play in daytime radio one, tuning your guitar up and somebody putting a fiver down your waistband. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, I don't think we would have made yeah. any money if we were stripping like that. Like, like, that album, I remember, it, it came out, I think, just as I was... It came out when I was doing my A-levels, I think, and... Yeah, it did. It came out when I was doing my A-levels, and in uni, when you, when you move up, this was still when people, like had CDs, you yeah. know, like like many of this were just a thing, but nobody was really streaming anything like the 
that like the what was it the iPod was kind of just doing the rounds, but it was expensive at that stage, and it was funny because like I would go over to all my friends' houses. We all lived in um, Port Stewart in a little place called Atherton Village, and it was kind of like a a glorified old people's fold, really, right? Um, for students, and you go in everybody's house, and there was a copy of um, Final Straw in everybody's room, <laughs> like, and and they were all caked with beer so like you know the, the, it would be open and you would like have to peel it off the <laughs> peel it off the actual table to stick it on because ev- everybody had a copy of it around around that time yeah it's, and then the next one the, ne- the next one went even bigger yeah yeah we you know those two albums sold 10 million copies between them you know and it, it was uh it was pretty it's pretty freaking bonkers it's mad though, like it's like the, the the days of selling records, like that's just over for everybody yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't, like, that's you know, I mean, there's few a few outliers, but most most people, uh, um, you know, we Un- mentioned unless, that already. You know, yeah, it, like the the albums I think think that still sell are the ones that people buy in Tesco mm-hmm. instead of like the record shops, like you know, like records that will sit easily on a coffee table, like Sam Smith and Adele, and like you know, I know your friends went by Ed Sheeran and stuff like. It, music that will can work on radio one two six four five six seven blah blah yeah yeah and, yeah um but like the sell out amount of records that must have been crazy like especially like having done what you did for for ten years and really grafted to get there did things change for you overnight like personally with all of that well. Yes, things got very, very busy very fast, and they didn't stop being busy until we stopped touring in 2012. Like, it was just constant. What, really? Like, that long? Yeah, like we just went from, years. like, album album tour, album tour, album tour, mm. you know, and we didn't ever really... That breaks I mean, a lot I, of bands, so... I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't ever move in to a, a place. I was always living out of a bag for those 10, those 10 years. Um, so... That it must take its toll. Hectic. That must take its toll on on you and the band as well, because when you don't have a break and have that moment to sort of settle down, your you, things can go away. Like you know, your mental health can deteriorate. But excess, like you know, you're you're living in a rock and roll world at that stage. So yeah, yeah. It, like it must be fun, but also challenging as well. Oh, I d- I think we were all. Somebody was always going through some kind of a mental breakdown. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, it's not. Um, by any means the hardest job in the world by no means it's a lot of fun but it does it does um, it's a mess with your mind it does mess with your mind that's for sure it definitely I, I know people like even at, at any level when you're used to spending 23 hours of your day sort of sitting about there sleeping being in the backstage area hanging about with your friends and then this one hour of like really powerful feeling when you're out on stage playing to lots of lots of people and doing what you love doing it's almost like a bit of a drug isn't it yeah yeah and it's hard to like when you come off come off the stage after a big show you don't really wind down for hours after and that's why a lot of people will Get drink to drink and, and drugs, take drugs and stuff, yeah. um, because it helps kind of mitigate that or you think it does you yeah. think that's what it's doing but it's, but it's only making it worse but yeah. it's but it's you know you only realize that you know, when you when you can get some distance from it. Were you, were you into it like uh, like drinking drugs in a a big way after that, or was it just? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, at, at what stage was it? You were like going right. I need to knock this on the head. Well, the 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 the, 
again, it's not it's funny. A it's a word. It's a. a, a um, I said it. The funny thing is, but it's not really a funny thing. But the, the thing is, I um, didn't really drink. Uh, Two thousand seven, which is in the middle of the Eyes Open tour in America, I lost my voice um, in Houston, Texas, and uh, I. They had to. Um, they flew me to a specialist in New York and uh, they told me I had polyps on my vocal cords and they wanted to operate on them and I was like, nah. So I flew is that the what, Is that the thing that Chris Cornell and people uh, had? Like, where like little bumps on your vocal like cords. Not, it, means that it means it, not, not, not nodules. I think that's one worse. Um, oh, right, right. Polyps is like the, fir- the early stages of that. Um, I think poly- uh, I, I think nodules, they have to operate, but yeah. polyps... I went home to Glasgow. I was living in Glasgow at the time, and the doctor there said, uh, that just vocal rest for a month. Mm-hmm. So we moved the gigs that I'd missed to Four. later in the year. Yeah. And uh, I was fine after a month, but I had to go to vocal. I'd never gone to vocal training. I'd mm-hmm. never had a vocal coach. I'd never done anything to warm up or warm down after a show. Yeah. Um, and I have to do that now every every time. I, I, I it, it, it makes sense. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, if yeah. You and I had to stop drinking on tour too. So, um, I did all my drinking and taking drugs off tour. Yeah. So I was kind of like this sort of an, uh, the opposite of a rock and roller. I was like, <laughs> I, I was doing rock and roll, really kind of like insulated uh, from. Uh, from you know everyone else was drinking or whatever, but I, I was just you know I was going to bed trying to get to bed early and you know yeah like, just um, for the performance for like, the really? perform just yeah, yeah for the performance there's no point there's no you know as I think Noel Gallagher said one time you know rock and roll is actually turning up and doing the show um, yeah and that's you know that's the most important thing and uh, and then when the tour finished properly in 2012 that's when I went off the rails because I had nothing to do I mean I was working on film soundtracks I was working co-writing with people. But it wasn't a day-to-day thing, you it's know what the, I mean? Yeah, like the, the, the routine. Because like almost, well, well, a lot of people don't really realize when you're in a, a touring band, your whole day is set out for you every single day. Yeah. You've got a tour manager who's going, you need to be here at this time. You've got an interview to do at this time, foods at this time. And then you come back off it and you're like going, shit, what do I do now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it, it is very... It is a very strange uh, experience to have your day free. Mm. So you, you don't, I didn't know what to do with it, so I just drank, and then, and then the drinking didn't really stop until such times as I um, my health just deteriorated. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I was actually, um, <coughs> I was actually f- about to fly home to to go to France, mm. 2016, for the to see Northern Ireland um, in the Euros, and uh, I. Was I mean you know even though I drink I was drinking a lot I was still in the gym every day trying to like keep try and keep a bit healthy yeah and I was bent down to touch my toes in the gym and I came back up again and uh, uh, it felt like uh, the earth was moving oh god right and uh, I thought I was in LA so I thought yeah. it was an earthquake and there was no one else in the gym so I phoned a mate who lived nearby and I said Are we have an earthquake and he was like no. I'm like, oh shit, um, and I told him what was happening. He's like, it sounds like you got vertigo, mate. Um, I'm going to see a doctor. So I went to an ENT, and he took a a, a scan of my head. And oh, my head. Did you have an MRI scan? Like, no, it was a, a CT scan. It was like this yeah. scan that goes right round your right round your head. And uh, I, um, 
my whole head was infected. My sinuses were infected. My oh ears, my, God, my eyes, right. everything. Yeah. And uh, he, from drinking drugs and all sorts, um, and he said, uh, I said, I'm, I'm flying home, you know, I'm you, flying to France. You fly, no. And he said, no, you're not. Uh, if you fly in this condition, you're just going to feel like someone's stabbing you in the face with a knife a yeah. bunch of times. And uh, and I was still on the fence. <laughs> like, yeah, you're like, like, Northern ah, Ireland haven't been in a this, major cup, major tournament. Get to lads in France, <laughs> get stabbed in the face for about 10 or 11 I hours. Had tickets bought, uh, uh, hotels booked um, for me, four mates, uh, flights <coughs> booked, everything. And I was, and it was, some, it was a friend of mine who's also an acupuncturist and one of the greatest women I've ever known in my life, uh, Gabrielle Hammond. Um, the song, there's a song on the new album about her called Heal Me. Um, and uh, she basically convinced me to stay. And uh, the doctor wanted to cut me open straight away. Yeah. And she was like, give me a month. I'll do my magic on you. You won't, uh, you won't need a surgery. And right enough, a month later, the sinus, sinuses and everything had it's cleared. cleared up. That's, that's incredible. But I had to stop drinking. Yeah. And so I stopped drinking originally and milk for is health good for as well. There wouldn't so, be milk and things like that aren't good for it. Other yeah, no. I mean, I've I've done I've quit drink drugs, sugar, dairy, everything. You don't drink, don't smoke. What, I, what do, do you? What, what, I what, know exactly, what, what, exactly. What, what, it's what, fucking boring. What, what 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 do you eat? What do I eat? See, I, 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 I mean, go through this with vegetarians and vegans all the time. Like I grew up on a farm, so I'm very much of the going. I will drink the milk and eat the meat. I, you know, I I eat I I eat everything and just. I don't eat stuff that has added sugar in it. Yeah. Not stuff that comes from a can. Not, not, nothing that comes from a can or whatever, you know what I mean? I'll mm. just cook my... I, I'm, I'm a pretty I mean, decent cook. Even I mean, if that's I do say so myself. So I just cook my own, my own meals and it's, it's, I, eat, I eat like a horse. So, <laughs> I, you know, like I need to eat like four or five times a day. Yeah, exactly. You're not bringing that LA diet back with you, like, you know, tofu and... Uh, uh, no, 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 none grass, of that. I mean, I, I don't, I know, I'm, you know... It doesn't I'm sound like you're up to much of that over in LA anyway. Not really, no, not really. I was, you see, well, the problem with, the problem with LA, if I was living in Northern Ireland or, or even like when I was living in London or Glasgow... There's always someone that you find. There's always a partner in crime. You can yeah. always go out and get drunk with someone. In LA, something else, something had changed in me because I was always a very a, a keen advocate of not drinking alone. But I could oh, yeah, never find enough people to go out with me every night. <laughs> there would always be maybe two times a week you'd find someone that was up for going out. And the other five times a week, I would go to the pub on my own. And... Uh, it, you know, it's not a good look. I, I was in the pub, one of the pubs that I like to go to near my house, and I was sitting in the corner, minding my own business, and there was a table free beside me, and this young couple came and sat down beside me. Yeah. And um, I was eight or nine pints in at this stage, and they, um, out of the corner of my eye, I saw them both, they hadn't seen me properly yet. Yeah. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw them both look at me, then look at each other, then get up and walk across and sit at the table on the other side of the room. Oh, no. <laughs> and I thought, uh, I am that a guy? fucking mess. Oh, I am a mess. And you were just like, right, need, need to sort that out. Need to sort it out. That's when they first sort of like, uh, <laughs> the first sort of spark went <laughs> in my head. And then I think it was very soon after the doctor went, yeah, you're, you are a mess. Huh? Yeah, you, you need to stop drinking so much. I, I've i never like, I've never had anything as, as, as deep as that, but I, I do remember being that guy, like, uh, I'm sure I've been that guy many times, but I remember like catching myself be that guy. I was at a a cloakroom 
in a nightclub in London and I was very drunk and it was like three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning and they wouldn't give me back my coat because I'd lost my ticket. And I was just like, you have to like, and I was just breaking <laughs> down and I was like, oh, like there was like tears coming down my oh, eyes. Man. I was like, I just want my coat back. And the guy put his hand on me. He was like, going, son, you've got some severe mental problems. You need to go home. <laughs> I was like, uh, I don't, I'm just really drunk. I thought he was going to be like really considerate, kind when he put his hand on you. <laughs> you went, you've got, son, mental, you've problems. got mental problems. Go oh, home. Man. That's I was like, uh, thanks, man. Did you ever get that coat? I back? never got the coat oh, back. No, man. oh well, it, like it was a shy coat anyway. Who cares? Um, what was I also want to talk about? Yeah, supergroups. Like mm. I don't even know where to start with the, the, the supergroups because you've like uh, you've you've done a lot of stuff. Like you, you don't you don't you don't give yourself a lot of uh, free time when it comes to music because like <laughs> like you're, you're bang on the next thing, bang on the next thing, and like the Tired Pony, I guess, was the last one I saw. I think I saw that in the in London. At the Barbican. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great night. Um, Reindeer Section was the first one. That was a whole bunch of bands in Scotland. And that was me at a Lou Barlow gig. Mm. Lou Barlow did three nights at Nice and Sleazy's um, in Glasgow. And I went round hammered to everybody there. Um, Aidan Moffat was there. Uh, the guys from Mogwai were there. Um, Astrid. Uh, Eugene Kelly. Uh all sorts of people, and I just went around drunk and went, right, I've started a band, and I thought of right. a name. I was like, they were called the Reindeer Section, and they're like, pulling it out of my arse. Uh, you have to be in it. And, like, you know, people, Aiden was like, I sure, man, if you write the songs, I'll be in it. And yeah. uh, next day, I woke up and wrote a bunch of songs. And then... Album's done. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I literally, I mean, back in those days, I was writing, you know, 10, 15 songs in a day, and that was no sweat. These days, it's harder to... You know, some, some some songs take years, but um, and then we did two albums with those guys. One um, one album, the second album had twenty seven people on it. Um, right, so it was a yeah. lot, like uh, um, including Norman Blake, one of my all time heroes from from Teenage Fan Club, and uh, and then yeah, the Tired Pony stuff came about because Garrett was producing Jack Knightley was producing REM. Mm. He did their last two albums. Uh, and he asked, I said, do you think Peter, Peter and Scott would be up for making a, making a record? And Garrett was like, yeah, sure, we'll ask him. And Garrett emailed Peter saying, do you want to be in a band? Peter, you know, one of the, Peter and Scott, both absolutely lovely, lovely men, emailed straight back going, yep, when and where? <laughs> and, uh, I was like, okay, Easy. well, I better write the songs. God, that's that was a lot easier than you thought it was going to be. Well, it was. It was that was because speaking of writing songs, I I kind you're like of Michael type. You're right. I'm in. I sh- well, I, sh- I kind of shot the bed a wee bit on the, the songwriting for that album because I, I, we were due to leave. I was due to. I was in Glasgow. I was due to leave on the third of January. Mm-hmm. I got hammered from the thirty first to the second. You know, like a like New Year's, one of those New oh, Year's yeah. that just lasts forever. Oh, I've done that. And then I'm waking up on the third, having to fly, and I had a panic attack. And I phoned Garrett. I've done that like, as well. <laughs> I phoned Garrett. I was like, I can't. I don't know if I can do this. And Garrett's like, just come. We were fun. We were recording in Portland. Yeah. He said, just come to Portland. We'll, you know, we'll 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 record the songs you have, and then you know maybe you know you'll write some other ones. Let's just have fun. So I was like, okay, calm down a bit. Flew to Portland. We recorded all the songs that I'd written in the first day. Right. And I had How to, long were you meant to be for, there for? Uh, nine days. 
yeah. in the studio. And I wrote the rest of the album as we were going. Yeah. It was like, I wrote a song and then we recorded it. I wrote a song and then we recorded it. And we recorded 15 songs, I think, in the first seven days. Wow. And, uh, no pressure? No, I, I, I mean, it was so much fun. Garrett was right. It was just mm. so much fun. And we... Um, we had a lot of we had a lot of a lot of laughs on that record, but um, I remember the first time that I had to play Peter Buck the chords. I don't even know the name of chords. I mean, I'm just <laughs> I just put my fingers this, places yeah. and, and if like, it sounds good, I like you know yeah. I, 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 you know, I like it. And I'm playing him chords, and he's going, I don't even know what that chord. I was like catching out Peter Buck. He was going, <laughs> him and Scott were like sort of going. That might be a G suspended, seventh diminished. I don't You're fucking like, know. It hurts my hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah this, <laughs> it's sore and sounds nice. Um, and uh, so that was that was a lot of fun. It was an education, um, you know, like uh, working with him. Um, and uh, yeah, we did another one of those straight after the end of the last tour, you know, in 2000. Mm-hmm. 2012. Does that mean that you're going to do another one straight after after this tour? Is that like the the pattern that you're in? I think that seems to be the pattern. Yeah, I think I'd like to do I'd like to do another tired pony. Um, We'll see. We'll see what happens. We did the last one in Garrett's studio in California, and it was it was was really really lovely. You should get them all over to Northern Ireland. Yes. Yes. You're like, why am I? Why am I going over? We can record and we've got, st- we we've can got start a, together. It's almost like there's a, an engineer who works at, uh, in, at Start Together Studios behind us called Rocky O'Reilly. You up for that, Rocky, yeah? Absolutely. Brilliant. <laughs> um, speaking about Northern Ireland, you, you, um, you've got a keen interest in not just the bands and the new bands coming through in Northern Ireland, but also the, the infrastructure of the industry in, in Northern Ireland as well. Yeah, I, you know, when I was growing growing up here, there wasn't really that much in the way of kind of local music infrastructure. Uh, you know, there wasn't a place where um, kids could kind of congregate and make music. We, I had a band at school, um, imaginatively titled "So What." Uh, brilliant! <laughs> yeah, so what? So what? Whatever. Um, and uh, we we used to rehearse in like a village a village hall, um, and uh, you know that. Um, was sort of multi-purpose, but it didn't have any. It had a couple of plug sockets, yeah, yeah, but you had to bring your that, you know, all it, your yeah. own gear in, and and um, and we had very limited gear. Um, so, I, you know, I was with, I was sitting with Stuart Bailey in uh, in Robinson's Bar. Well, it's more than ten years ago yeah, now. Yeah, Stuart Bailey's like a ex enemy. Um, broadcaster journalist from Northern Ireland. Yes, yeah. yes, and he, um, you know, he worked on Radio Ulster. Uh, has worked in Radio Ulster for a long time. It was a show called Across the Line, mm-hmm. and you know, he's a very well respected journalist and, and music, a music aficionado in in Northern Ireland. And uh, him and I, you know, I, I I sort of went to him with the idea that you know we need a, a kind of a, a nexus, a music hub in in, in Belfast. You know, Derry had. Uh, Derry London, Derry has um, has the nerve centre, and and we need we needed something, and that's where the sort of the idea that of the Oh Yeah mm. centre came about, and we kind of fished around for for places to put it in. You know, at the at the time of inception, it was going to be a very small thing, um, where we just it's we, now been going for uh, ten years. It's, it's been going ten years, and it has, you know, as we've just mentioned, Rocky O'Reilly has a studio in there, start together. It has rehearsal rooms. It has a venue. It has a bar. It has you know a, a museum of Northern Irish music. It I've, has fa- I've fallen asleep in there on nights out before. <laughs> Look, I've, I've, yeah, it's a, it, but like that was set up for for young people to 
um, help them in their, their sort of musical journey, whether it's in bands or in the industry. And it, it has helped. There's a, a thing called volume control, which like helps kids who are under 18 set up gigs and, yeah. and that, things like that. Was that was a big thing in Nor- that I, I saw a big problem in Northern Ireland, which was that there was no gigs for under 18s to mm. go to. There was no, you know, every place that had live music was a bar and they weren't letting under 18s in. So, you know, the, the OES Centre has under 18 gigs all the time and it has places where kids can go and actually just hang out uh, of a day, make music, talk music, talk to people that, that make it's music. It's important, isn't it? Like, yeah. And you've, like, you've, you've backed quite a lot of bands. You've brought, brought some bands on tour with you over the years, like uh, A Plastic Rose, I remember seeing them uh, uh, playing a couple of shows with you guys. But like, you, you definitely, you're definitely helping bring bands to the next level or, or helping give them a wee foot up anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, Northern Ireland's very, very important to me. You know, um, Ireland is very important to me, but Northern Ireland is particularly important to me. Uh, I think it's important to kind of do everything possible to help bands avoid the mistakes that we that we made. Yeah. You know what I mean? We were screwed over by lawyers. We were, you know, dropped from record labels. We were kind of penniless many, many, many times. You know what I mean? Mm. It's, you know, ten, it took us 10 years to have a hit. You know, we're very grateful that we were given the time to do it. And these days, bands are given less and less time. If they release an album and it's not successful very often, that's the end. Yeah. And, you know, you want to you wanna give the bands every opportunity, every chance to actually grow, to actually become uh, confident, comfortable writing the best songs, playing the best live that they can, so that they have some longevity or some more longevity than they would have had if it's just rushed. There's nothing worse than rushing a band to, to just to bring an album out, just... Because yeah, I think bands need to take their time and just make sure that yeah. it's coming out at the right time. Well, you're it's very good at that as well. So you're mm-hmm. a filly, you know, and you, with your work with lots of bands, including most recently Touch. You yeah, know yeah, I mean? you're working just, very well just with them. Trying to, well, I just want to see a fucking class band do well. That's pretty much it. Um, it leads me on actually nicely to this next bit. Basically, a, like a tip that you would give to uh, somebody who's starting out, maybe making music or becoming a producer or whatever, and like one of the maybe pearls of wisdom that you've you've learned over the years that maybe you wish you knew. Pearl of wisdom. It, music industry's changed so much since we started out. You know, our first years were spent in. You know, we touched on it in the uh, uh, you know earlier on, and that you know you 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 kind of uh, what's something that Simon from Biffy said. You know, you don't mm-hmm. your your every move is not videoed. You know, you, uh, back when we were back when we were starting out. Now it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I would suggest. Um, that every band, uh, that no band rushes in, that mm. that every band rehearses their asses off before they play live, because mm-hmm. everything is going to be videoed. All bands go out too early live. Well, ninety percent of them do. Yeah, and it's always like, oh, should have waited another six months. It's it's hard to know because you think in your head, and I did when I was when I was um, eighteen, we're the best band in the world. Yeah, and it's very hard to kind of to think otherwise. And it's good that to feel that way, yeah. Because um, you kind of need that confidence to perform too. But I would suggest that you bring your, at the very least, your the the mate you trust the most, the, the one who'll tell never, you your shit that things. never tell that yeah. never tells you uh, um, that sugarcoats something for you. Yeah. To come into rehearsals and tell you what he really thinks of it. Yeah. Because if you impress him, chances are. You'll probably, you know, impress a fair amount of people. Who's that for you? Um, that's Davy Matchett for me. Yeah, I think. Yeah, 
Davy never lovely Davey, lovely Davy, um, who I um, have a, a, a run a company. I've known Davy since I was twelve. Um, I run a company called um, Third Bar with him. It's an artist development company that um, tries to help bands, you know, along their way. And um, uh, Davy will never sugarcoat anything for me. No, he, no. <laughs> I mean he's not, nor is he harsh at all. But yeah. uh, he won't. Uh, he won't tell me a lie. Good. Uh, you need people like that around yeah. you. Um, so right, like we we've kind of gone through. I'm sure we, we we could probably sit here for about seven hours, but like I'll like we're getting more dehydrated as, as, as we go along. Um, yeah, so the, the the new album is coming out in um, it's coming out this year. What's yes. what's what's the exact date? May twenty fifth. Yeah, May twenty fifth. Wildness. Wildness. Am I, am I saying that right? Wildness. Wildness. Yeah. 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 Um, it's. Um, are you gonna I, um, are you gonna do the Noel Gallagher and Liam Gallagher? It's the best album that we've ever done. It's no, no. It's it, it, I mean that's that should be that's that should be a hundred percent the only reason why you release a record is because you it's think because it's, it's, it's yeah, the best album course, you've yeah. ever done. Yeah. So that's sort of taken. That's 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 taken as you know, like as as you know, that goes without saying. Um, but it's the most personal record I've ever I've ever written. You know, lyrically. Mm. I've never delved this deep before. I went into all kinds of things I've never is it talked cath- about. Cathartic or scary? I thought it would be cathartic, but it actually ended up opening doors that I haven't really been able to close. You know, yeah. and uh, with giving up drink, you 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 give you also give up that crutch. Yeah, that helps you drown, bury all the you know the things. I've had very um, big. Um, Low confidence, self-loathing since I was a kid. Yeah. You know, since I was very, very young, I remember really hating myself. Um, and that stuff kind of um, comes up when, you've, when you're sober. Yeah, again. of course. Yeah. Because you, when you're a kid, you're not drinking. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so exactly. So you're living with it. And then you're old enough to drink or you're possibly not old enough to drink. You start drinking and you... Uh, and you, you, it's just, it buries it and it feels good. Yeah. Um, until the next morning and then you do it all over again. But... Um, but then you stop doing that, and yeah. and these things come up. And uh, I had, you know, uh, so depression was, you know, like sort of loomed large on this record. And um, my dad's, my dad has dementia and alcoholism. So there's some heavy That's, themes. Yeah, it does. Sound heavy, but yeah. it's not a heavy record. Yeah, of course. It's a really hopeful record because yeah. I feel like in a lot of ways I've come out the other side of it. Um, but it's, you know, it's left me. The actual making of the record has left me kind of feeling very kind of exposed. Like my my heart is open in a way that it wasn't open before, and it feels like I'm maybe slightly less protected. But I, we're, because we're talking about this before it comes out, it's almost like that that feeling can change quite a lot once it comes out, and people will actually get something from it. You know, mm-hmm. like other people who have suffered from the exact same things are are in the same predicament that you're in with maybe your family, once they start getting that, then you'll get something back as well because you're helping people out with that music and that sound. Yeah, I feel uh, the, the first singles uh, um, called Don't Give In, it's, it came out on Friday and it, uh, the response was extraordinary. I mean, I was not expecting such an amazing response from people. And uh, um, so that, that, has been, that has been really beautiful to, beautiful to see. That's seven years... Um, 
Maybe it was the exact amount of time we needed yeah, to spend away. Exactly. <laughs> I've handily just got a nosebleed, so I think that's the You've per- got a nosebleed? Yeah, look at that. Hey, Pencil Skinner, I've got a nosebleed, so I think that's the perfect time to end the podcast. Nosebleed. Yeah, on that my, me talking about me talking about the depressing <laughs> things is giving you a nosebleed. <laughs> so there we are. <laughs> Quite well, we're not ahead. <laughs> Gary, thank, Gary th- thank you very much. As I say, upside down with a nosebleed. Well, like, let's get so you to the hospital. Come on. <laughs> Phil Tiger. Slacker Lots of love to Guy Lightbody, that tall streak of legend that he is. I absolutely loved our podcast chat, and of course, the never-before-heard version of Snow Patrol's massive hit run was very, very special as well. Um, thank you very much to Davey Matchett, who um, works with Gary, and of course to Gary's team for making this happen. I think there was a lot of people climbing around attics and going around to old houses to try and find that demo i don't think that was like easily just sitting on um somebody's desktop or on a usb i think that actually had to be dug out um thank you to you all as well for listening um if you haven't listened to any of the other podcasts and there are a couple others that you might like if you like this one maybe you might like the manic street preachers one you might like the wolf Alice one you can go back there's seven more to listen to and if you like a written review, it would be amazing. I know you get asked all the time to do it, but it would mean, it would mean a lot. It would put a smile on my face if I got like, quite a few after this. Um, thank you to Jenny. Thank you to Adam. Thank you to Start Together Studios in Belfast for letting me record the podcast there. And next week, we will have a brilliant young artist called Dodie. I will see you later, slackers. We've got a lot of catching up to do. Hi there, everybody. It's lovely to be with you again. Over 100 live games in just six weeks on Sky Sports. Everything still to play for. Scores to sell. Relegation to avoid. Europe up for grabs. And the titles to win. Upgrade to Sky Sports today. 64 Premier League and 37 EFL games on Sky Sports, 17th of June till 26th of July. See sky.ie for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, 
plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.